This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet N3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Natalie Smid, Growth Manager at Lunar Solar Group, an e-commerce and digital growth consultancy that works with brands on their digital strategy and supports everything from overall strategy to digital ad campaigns across a bunch of platforms. They are the team behind our new content and awesome email campaigns for all of you guys who've noticed our amazing email campaigns. They also do website development and content creation. Hi, Natalie. Welcome. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to have you on the show for so many months. And honestly, like even reading the introduction, I wouldn't have known what any of that meant eight <laughs> months ago. <laughs> so I feel like you have shepherded uh, me and my team. Uh, I understand digital strategy. I understand platform. I understand content. Like, I'm like, ooh, this is so much fun. I kind of get this stuff, sort of. Um, awesome. <laughs> but uh, I've been wanting you to come on, basically, for everyone listening, like a lot of you. Um, we sort of sat on the floor of our uh, Anaheim Airbnb the day that Expo West was canceled. And, you know, Courtney and Marissa, we all looked at each other and we were sort of like, we're about to launch in 430 or whatever Whole Foods stores across the United States. And there are going to be no demos. And if there's an actual like pandemic, no one's going to be in the stores. Like, how, how's this going to work? How are we going to get anyone to know who we are or like what we are? Right. Um, so we called you guys and about like three days later, you were working with us and it's been just learning on our part and growing and having so much fun ever since. Um, so I'm psyched for everyone, uh, of the listeners to hear about you and LSG and, um, I'm glad you're here. Well, the fun has definitely been mutual and I'm honored to be working with you and honored to be here today. Oh, thank you. So before we get into all of like the fun digital stuff, um, I, I really do, there's so much to learn about people when they come on the show. And I think 
it's interesting because there's usually a connection between what you were studying or what you were interested in as a kid and in college. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't usually line up like exactly the same thing. So you studied biology. Um, were you like always a science person? Yeah, I had loved biology in high school and growing up. Um, and I'd also really enjoyed working in a health clinic in the summers and during the school years when I could. And so um, when I got to college and during college, I was really intent on studying medicine. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty sure the whole time that that was what I was going to do. Yeah, I can see you as a doctor. You'd be a great doctor. Really? <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> um, and then what what changed your mind? So I think as I was getting closer to applying, I felt like my certainty should be increasing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was actually going in the opposite direction. And I knew that I needed to take a step back and either needed to like do a pivot or just take a bit more time to see if that was ultimately what I wanted to do. Um, And so um, after graduation, that kind of led to a really exciting opportunity to go teach for a couple of years in Madrid. Um, yeah. yeah, that was an amazing opportunity. It gave me um, the space to think a bit, explore, um, study a new language, live in a totally different culture. Yeah. Um, and from that, that's kind of where I launched my pivot into into business and marketing. Right. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm like stretching it. But to me, you've got like the science and the systems and the way things work in biology and then teaching, you know, a foreign language in a foreign country means that you have to be a really good teacher, you know, and you have to be able to break things down and sort of explain them. And, Mm -hmm. and, and and you do both for us really well, (laughs) because oftentimes Instagram feels like it's a foreign language and there's so many acronyms that I still, it's like, you could you could literally make them up, and I'd be like, "That sounds great." Um, <laughs> so then, in in the business program, um, you focused on marketing, and and did that kind of get you? Were you then sort of looking for digital marketing in particular, or how did that happen? Well, the the program that I did at Dartmouth um, was like a one month intensive, so it covered mm-hmm. a variety of different topics. But what I liked is that. I could apply a skill set to a wide variety of different opportunities. Um, and I really enjoyed like collaborating with my team throughout the program. Right. Um, and so when I was coming back from Spain, I knew that I wanted to go to New York. My sister was here. There's a lot of opportunity in the city. Um, and so when I heard about Lunar Solar, um, I was going to be the second person on a hot desk in New York. Um, wow. And I was really excited by the opportunity to take my quantitative background, like you said, but also do something um, more creative and like a high growth environment. Um, And I also was really, really excited about the opportunity to be part of building a new culture. Yeah. Um, And so for all of those reasons, I jumped on board and was was so excited to join. So can you break down a little bit what Lunar Solar is? We also have sort of an inside joke on our team that it has, you guys have a few different names, um, a few different things that you do. They all ladder up to sort of like making sure that your digital strategy is working for Mm -hmm. you as a, as a fast growth company. 
Um, but maybe can you, can you, what was your understanding of what job you were taking and what the hot desk meant and, and kind of what lunar solar was and has evolved into and, and all about that? Definitely. Um, at the time, it looked a lot different than it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and I think sometimes the thing that confuses people is that it's not only a bunch of different names, but they're all space related. Um, right. so <laughs> it becomes kind of hard to keep track of. But right. um, under the lunar solar umbrella, umbrella um, there are three different divisions. Um, so the team that I work on is Red Giant, mm-hmm. um, and that's customer acquisition and retention. Um, but then we also have Space Race, which is website de- design and development, and then Satellite, which is content creation. Got so those it. are the three different divisions. And I think we're involved with all three divisions at this point, right? There's acquisition yeah. retention. What was the middle one? It was Space Race for website development. Website, right. We haven't quite done that, but we're going to. And then the other one was <laughs> <laughs> Satellite. content, content. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you make amazing content. So um, that's been really fun. So let's go back to that day when I called Pearson and I was like, hey, we have a lot of money for us. I mean, more money than we had spent on anything that was mm-hmm. all earmarked for demos in these 490 Whole Foods. We need to take half of it because I was worried about cash because this was just at the beginning of COVID. Half mm-hmm. of it and just throw it into something digital that gets people to buy our sauce. Now, not buy our sauce online because we did not offer that, but buy our sauce in stores. So what was it like on your end after we had our initial call with him mm-hmm. when he was like, hey, guys, there's this woman. She's kind <laughs> of freaking out. They're going on Whole Foods shelves in three weeks and they don't know how anyone's going to buy their product. What did he say to you? What was your internal sort of process like? You know, how did how, how did you think about it after you spoke to us? you know, that first time a week later or whatever, like, what did you guys do on your end? Yeah, so I think um, one big difference in the opportunity to work with you is that I knew our results wouldn't be as immediate as I'm accustomed to. So usually like any tests that we're doing, I can see the, even though I won't understand the full picture until more time has passed, I can, more time has passed, I can often see like initial results. But Um, with our strategy with you guys, I knew that we wouldn't be able to truly understand the impact until like a month in the future or more. Um, And so I think that was the most like intimidating, but exciting part of it. And And that's just simply because like when it's direct to consumer, you have a cost of acquisition, you know how much you've paid for an ad, you know how many conversions you get out of that. and, And then you can just trace it exactly. Whereas when you're sending people to a store locator (laughs) and then you're like, I think these people bought sauce because of ads, but maybe, is that what you mean? Yeah. We're, we're more in the dark. So we know, um, and I think it's kind of fortunate that we're more in the dark because we don't want to be able to, at this point, track people to the stores, but (laughs) yeah, that's um, probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But we can see how they're engaging with your ad content. Um, we can see the actions that they're taking on the landing page, um, but we right. don't know until we get that sales data 
um, if the ads have had an impact. Well, I remember even, I mean, when we first started, you guys were like, okay, we need to make a landing page. And I mean, I was genuinely like, wait, but we have a website. Why can't we just send them to the website? I mean, we're laughing about it, but I mean, really, this is, this is, it was completely new to me. Like you, you can't measure anything if you're just sending people back to the website, unless you have a landing page where you're basically measuring. And that landing page was the first thing that you guys designed for us. And Mm -hmm. it, and, and it looks exactly like it's our website. Um, but it's just a very specific page that essentially calculates how many people are going to it or how, how does it work? Yeah, I think there were two factors or like more than two, but two main factors in um, needing that landing experience. And so in addition to being able to track people's actions that they're taking, it's also a layer of product education between Mm -hmm. the ad and the store locator. So rather than just giving them some messaging and dropping them directly to find a store, you're adding additional information about, and you guys have a unique product and it offers a unique value. Um, And so using an experience to clarify that and convince someone even more that you guys are worth a trip to the store and finding you um, in the refrigerated section. (laughs) And I, exactly. And and by the way, that means a totally different thing in every store, which complicates the, the content a lot too. Sometimes it's produce, sometimes it's dairy. Um, But did you guys, were you, first of all, were you kind of like, what the heck? And, and what, how are we going to do this? And then secondly, um, I think what ended up happening is the way we did sort of come to some measurements of success was we only did certain regions, right? And yeah, then we would exactly. compare the regions to the regions we didn't do to try to get some sort of benchmark of what it would have been like without the ads. So a is, did you think, what the heck? And B, is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought, like, because the idea was a national rollout. So mm-hmm. um, I think my concern was, how can we hit that national rollout with the budget that we have and make sure that it's effective? And so I think, like you said, the decision to go region by region and highlight some priorities um, was really crucial so that we could have enough of a daily budget within that specific mm-hmm. region to make an impact. I think it right. also like allowed us to specialize our creative and our strategy depending on the region. And we've seen that like maybe more people in the Midwest will engage with you on Facebook, whereas um, in the Northeast, we might have better results on the Instagram feed. Right. And, and so I remember, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. No, no I remember ahead. one month where it was, you know, we were running ads in the Mid-Atlantic region and after the promo, we saw some amazing lift, um, specifically in that region. And it was, we were all very excited because that's precisely when we were running the ads. And even though mm-hmm. the other regions had some lift, and obviously we're not attributing like 100% of those sales to the ads, we did feel like there was a clear enough correlation that we could be confident that the ads were working. Right? Definitely. Yeah, that was a big moment. That was a big moment. Okay, (laughs) on that big moment, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and I'm going to basically ask you to define a ton of acronyms. So we'll be right back.
All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN can provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make I'm a back contribution. I'm with Natalie Smith from Check Lunar out the Soul latest Group. additions to our okay. lineup while you're so there. Before we get into you kind can of see all, all of our all series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows. I want to talk a little bit about um, Instagram specifically. And I feel like um, a few years ago, maybe even, you know, a year or two ago, it was a lot easier to sort of build a brand organically on Instagram, right? It was easier to get right. to 100,000 followers. You know, everyone wants to talk about organic engagement, my community, all of that. Um, I feel like we have an actual community, like a legitimate community. The problem is, is that at this point, I don't think even 10% of them see a bunch of our posts. Mm-hmm. Forget about ads just our actual posts. So I feel like it's gotten harder and harder. So at this point, and I know that this is what you do for a living, but it seems to me if you're growing a brand, especially, you know, I mean, really any brand, whether it's obviously digitally native brands do this in their sleep, but if you're building a wholesale brand, would you say like having ads on Facebook and Instagram is, is pretty critical to, to success. Yes, definitely. Um, and I know that may seem seem biased, but, um, I think the frustrating alternate side of that is that it doesn't mean you can abandon your organic strategy and that time investment. It's still necessary and really critical, but now you need the paid ads component on top of it. Um, to really help with that acquisition and bringing new people into your sales funnel. yeah. And so I think that's kind of the frustrating trade-off is that it doesn't mean you can just abandon your efforts for organic. It means that it means that you need those in addition to a paid acquisition and retention strategy. And do you think that, I mean, do you think that Instagram in their sort of uh, algorithm wisdom do they ding you? I think people are nervous that if they start, I mean, I was, I was nervous that if I started mm-hmm. paying for ads that somehow they would, they would want me to pay more for ads. And so then my engagement would go down organically. Have you, uh, is there anything to that? Like, what is, what is the reason why sometimes you get 47 likes and, Mm -hmm. you know, you only, you know, that like only 200 people have seen it out of, you know, 
30,000 people who have followed the brand. Do we have any idea why that happens? So recently, and this has been coming up for um, a lot of brands that we work with more recently, is that any like changes in the algorithm because of a new product feature um, or something going on like testing with the election can mm-hmm. really impact um, engagement and things that you saw previously with the algorithm might not hold up or have the same weight. Um, and so I think with, for instance, Instagram um, constantly launching features that are meant to um, mirror their competitors' like advantages. So for reels with mm-hmm. um, TikTok, then the algorithm will prioritize like deliverance of reels over your right. organic post. Got it. Um, so I think that it just is like an ever-changing landscape. Um, And it's also beneficial for the business of Facebook if you guys are having to pay to have more engagement. Um, Right. And that's that's the thing. So so, but I do have friends who have, you know, they have e-com businesses and they've never paid for a digital ad because they just feel like somehow they shouldn't have to or there's something Mm -hmm. like kind of gross about it or whatever. But at the end of the day. It, you just have to be on there. It's just, I feel like part of the cost of doing business. And even if it does ding you a little bit on your organic side, you're getting new eyeballs on your brand all the time. I yeah. Mean, is that how you would look at it? Yeah. And I think um, the community component still has to be there. So you're right. paying to bring them to like that community feel that you have, but the community is what retains them. Um, And so I think it's more like paying for, like you said, new eyeballs, um, but then you have to do a new set of tasks in order to like retain them and keep them um, loyal to your brand. So let's talk a little bit about that, because, you know, you said the three things that you guys do. One of them is acquisition and retention. So I think as a lay person, I understand that acquiring is bringing in a consumer and mm-hmm. retaining is keeping them. Exactly. But how does that translate into sort of like the way that you think about what you do, right? Like, yeah. you, what does that mean in terms in, in your in your job life? <laughs> so with um, Red Giant, the customer acquisition portion of that is like the paid ads teams. So Mm -hmm. right now that could be a variety of platforms, but for most businesses, the best places to go are Facebook and Instagram for prospecting or like outreach of new customers. Um, And then Google in terms of having protection for your brand for people who are actively looking for you. So that's, those are the main pillars of the acquisition portion of it. And then retention, um, that's through like a community typically built through email and um, now increasingly SMS. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of that can be automation flows that are set up um, based on like typical customer journey. So you want to have your welcome, your post-purchase, a win back if they haven't come back in the the time you expected. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you also want to have like campaigns surrounding new product launches, promotions that you're running. Um, getting more reviews or a founder statement out in front of your audience um, to yeah. like increase that open rate. And so that's kind of how we look at the the two pieces of that. And going back to acquisition, 
Are you seeing, obviously, TikTok um, is a thing. Um, (laughs) Seems like it's, you know, going to be a thing probably for, I would guess, like 18 to 30-year-old consumers Mm -hmm. more than maybe Instagram or Facebook. But are you seeing a lot of retention or I guess a lot of acquisition happening on TikTok or is it still more just, uh, what are you seeing there? Yeah. Yeah. The majority of people who we work with um, prioritize their spend on Facebook and Instagram. Right. Um, There are some people who also have like a pretty significant budget going to either Snapchat or Pinterest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say TikTok is kind of falling at least now below those two, but on the rise. Um, and they're offering, and this is like what a lot of platforms do, but coupons to get you to start spending money on the platform and start experimenting with how it could fit into your overall strategy. Right. I mean, the thing is, even us, like we're not the most digitally, uh, you know, savvy folks, but I mean, every platform takes a lot of thought and a lot of Definitely. content, you know, I mean, I make our Pinterest videos and they take me you know, between the cooking and the posting and the editing and the answering all of the questions, because you want to be engaged, like, every one of these things takes a lot of time. So I I think you kind of want to be everywhere. But I think like, like so many other things, you really need to focus, right on like, which channel, which marketing levers you're you are capable of pulling at that particular time. Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So if you were founding a company today, let's say you started, as I always say, a great black bean cookie company. Um, And let's say that you had D2C, but you also were trying to roll out, you know, across the country in Mm -hmm. retail stores and in grocery and you were getting some traction. How would you divide up your sort of mental pie chart? of acquiring consumers and retaining consumers when it came to a digital strategy? Mm -hmm. Like, what would you build? So I think to start, um, if I was going to prioritize D to C efforts, I would want to be fairly confident that I had a a website that could convert. Um, And so if I was going to... If I were <laughs> if I were planning to spend money to drive people to my site, um, I want it to be like functioning, probably pretty simple at the early stages, but optimized for um, conversion. And when we get in, if we're getting into some acronyms, um, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that CRO could make the list. Yes, so- <laughs> that is one of my acronyms. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so um, CRO or conversion rate optimization um, is... A process that involves a lot of testing, but optimizing your site for the conversion experience. So I think a lot of investment upfront on that would be tricky, but um, at least to the degree that I know that I'm giving a site that people could um, understand what my product is and have a seamless checkout experience. So can you give me an example of like, because it seems to me like every website that I've ever gone on, oh, there was one, actually, there was one this weekend where I went to the website to buy these nuts that I'm like, they're, they're like the only raw organic nuts kind of out Mm -hmm. there. And I went to their site to buy them. 
and it was clunky and complicated. So I just went to Amazon. Yeah. Is that what you mean by they are not optimized? Yep. So it's almost not worth the frustration. Like you right. could be really interested in the product, um, see a lot of reviews on the page, decide it's cool. But then once you're like 10 minutes into the checkout process, like, no, this is, I don't have the time for this. Right. Um, and so, any things that like people can do when they're not working with someone like you to just like make sure these things are tight, like these three things are tight so that at least you're optimizing sort of. I think that um, having like a clear, um, another acronym, but CTA or call yeah, to that's action. another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the like homepage or the landing property so that someone like knows the action that they're supposed to take. You're spelling it out for them. Right. Yeah. Um, and having that like stand out on the page, either through color or size. Um, I think having engaging video or imagery um, that features the product and like makes it super clear. So in your case, for instance, the, um, the image of all of your pouches, mm-hmm. it's really clear what the product is when they get to that landing property. Right. Um, and then I That's think why Courtney made me do the video <laughs> of, <laughs> of all the yes. squeezing the, yeah, that was, that was fun. Yep. That was cool to <laughs> do that. I also like that it's just my hands that the part of me talking we got rid of because <laughs> I have a feeling that would make our um, CRO go down. No. Right. <laughs> like a big video of me talking. Um, so um, a good, clear homepage, a clear call to action, some video or imaging that really like tells what the product is and what the product does. Yep. Anything um, else? An interesting one that, so um, we're having like um, frequent conversations across teams to, for collaboration and to make sure that insights are shared. Mm -hmm. And so something I didn't necessarily know previously was that a lot of brands, if they take the pricing off their collection pages, um, that's something that can like improve conversion rates. Um, And so maybe doing a test where um, on one of your collection pages, you just have reviews, whereas on another, you're showing the price. of what those items are, um, so maybe one of the collection page. You mean like when you land on it, it just says Irby Chimichurri, but it doesn't say a box for whatever. It just has reviews, and then you click to see the price. Yeah, and this would be more um, relevant for someone who has like multiple collections. Oh, um, so maybe an apparel brand that sells. Um, I don't know if you're having like looking at pants versus jackets, then when they're all together on one page, you wouldn't see the price until you click through to the, to the specific jacket you want to look at. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's cool. Okay. So you would make sure if you were prioritizing B2C, you would make sure that you had a good website that can convert so that you weren't spending money on all these digital ads bringing people to your website and then the website wasn't doing its job very well. Yep. Exactly. Um, What about email? I would definitely want to have that in place. Um, So I think that's something that happens is like, Oh, our ads are working. Um, The strategy is effective. Let's like crank the spends, but not having um, flows or email campaigns in place. And so then those like new leads that even if you're acquiring them at a cost effective rate, 
you're not nurturing them and they're not becoming like lifetime customers to the extent that they potentially would have if you had that in place. So I think that's huge. And I think the difficult part of that is the investment. And like you said, people have been commenting on how nice your emails look. Mm -hmm. That creative design is like really optimized. There's data that goes into the way that those are designed. But I think at least having them in place um, and having the information that would be pertinent to customers is like a, a huge first step if you're starting out. So this makes sense. So when you're thinking about, you know, again, for people who aren't digitally savvy and you're thinking about sort of building out a digital strategy, even if you just break it down into like, all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to acquire a lot of people, just meaning Mm -hmm. I'm going to get a lot of people to come to my website. And then presumably some of those people buy right yep. and and that depends on how clear your call to action is how well you sell it on the website etc but then after they buy to really get the bang for the buck that you've spent on acquiring that customer mm-hmm. you want them to come back again and again and again and the way to do that i think is what you're saying is like well there are two things happening one is if they come to the website but they don't buy nurturing that and not just letting mm-hmm. them go because they flee but yep. call, like giving them more content, maybe some ideas. Oh, we want you to come back, la 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 la. But then also, once they have bought, making them feel really good about that purchase and getting them excited for what's about to arrive. And then maybe a couple months later, saying, "Oh, you might need more or whatever it is." And yep. that's what you mean by like the flow, right? Yep, exactly. So maybe after um, six months, we're seeing that most of our customers come back within 30 days. So could we like shorten that window and make them come back in an even shorter amount of time? Mm -hmm. Or if that's the window that they're naturally inclined to come back, are we making sure that enough of them are? Right. Um, And are there tactics that we can put in place to ensure that we do either like a subscription model so so it's automatic Mm -hmm. um, or something in their email or our ad strategy that's reminding them to do so? Right. Because I mean, I know I could fall in love. I fell in love with this body wash like a year and a half ago and it ran out and then I just forgot that I was yeah, in love with it. And totally. And I remembered again and then I signed up for a subscription. So I would never forget again. Um, okay. So going back to sort of ads, mm-hmm. obviously digitally native brands, they know that they have to spend a lot on ads is there any sort of a benchmark of like percentage of sales, you know, that that is like healthy for a digitally native brand to spend on ads? Like, is that is there a healthy CAC essentially um, or a range? I wish it were that simple. I think it would make things a lot easier, um, but it varies a ton, um, like depending on what industry you're in, depending on the yeah. maturity of your brand. So we see anywhere between like 5% to 100%. Um, Oh my gosh, that'd be awful. (laughs) I think it varies a lot and it kind of depends as well, like on your business model. So um, do you have like a blended cost that you want to try to target acquiring customers because you're presuming based on your data that um, their lifetime value will be X. And so it's worth spending Y to acquire them. So that right. could be your strategy. You're continuing to spend at that um, at that customer cost or that and, CAC. 
And then people are talking about like that you want to kind of have a first time, like that first order profitability. Like the, I, I feel like word on the street a little bit in my <laughs> Luddite world is that, that, that worked a lot. And that was sort of the idea for a while was like, mm-hmm. eventually this customer will spend a hundred dollars. So yeah. I'm going to spend a hundred dollars acquiring them. Now it's like, well, if they only, if their first order is $30, then I really don't want to spend more than $30 acquiring them to begin with. Right. Has that shifted? I think it depends a lot on, again, on industry. So right. food industry. and beverage, I think it makes sense that once you get someone um, and get their loyalty, they're pretty likely to come back, um, particularly if it's like a family buying in bulk for everyone in the home who's drinking it or eating it. Right. Um, whereas like if you're an accessory or, or a pale, apparel brand, right. it makes a lot less sense to spend an equal amount to I'm not going to go buy their shoes again and again and again. Yeah, right. exactly. So for us specifically, when, because we're about to start measuring this because we are about to turn on digital ads mm-hmm. for our D to C channel. Is there a goal? I mean, do we have a, I think I might have to help set that, but like, if you were me, basically, you know, if, if we're, if it's, you know, 70 bucks to buy a case of six sauces mm-hmm. and we'd like to sell, let's say $700,000 of sauces next year. Is there kind of a number or like a little range where you would say this is a healthy CAC for you guys? So um, I think it would depend on a couple things. So we have like a benchmark. Um, We might assume based on your industry that you should fall somewhere between like a $20 to $50 CAC. Um, But from there, like what levers can we pull to to bring that down? or bring the returns up. So maybe like you said, a higher value bundle of sauces or like lowering the barrier to entry. So having like a trial pack where people can try multiple sauces. So I think um, like we kind of found with your wholesale campaigns, getting a baseline of data, both based on like what's been done historically, but also unique to your account and then optimizing from there. Um, And then I think the other thing is that we can start analyzing your customer data and seeing the opportunities with your like retention strategy mm-hmm. to make sure that, that that acquisition cost makes sense. Right. So for example, <clears throat> going back to what you were saying about email, if we see that out of 100 people that, that see the ad, 80 click on the website, but mm-hmm. four actually buy sauce, then that's right. an indicator that there's something not working with the website, right? Yeah. So if we're seeing, um, and this is something that we look at with your existing campaigns as well, but how cost effectively are people clicking through? Um, what's the engagement rate with the ads? And if both of those are really high, um, and maybe even people like, where are they getting tripped up? Are they adding to cart? Like if they click through at a high rate, we'd expect them to take a desired action on your site. So there, are they adding to cart or are they getting stuck there? Are they mm-hmm. adding to cart, but then like initiating checkout and something stopping them there? So maybe it could be a side issue, or maybe if they're not adding it, adding to cart, there's like a lack of clarity on the product page. 
um, or something tripping them up. Okay. That's so helpful. Okay. So now we're, we're going to be launching these ads soon. Um, and we're going to, now all of a sudden there's going to be like a dashboard that there really hasn't been before. Um, and so what are the key metrics on that dashboard that will indicate to you and to us, yes, these ads are working. So, um, I think the two big ones at the ad level, which I kind of touched on, are your like cost per click and your mm-hmm. click through rate. So um, at what rate are they, is the audience clicking through to your site um, and at what cost? And we have like certain benchmarks for those. And that gives us like the indication, oh, these ads are doing a great job at getting this audience cost effectively to the site. Um, and I think with targeting, Um, Mm -hmm. we have like a variety of things we can use to, we have both the targeting and your content strategy to like make adjustments and make sure those metrics are on point. Um, are there any other things that, that you'll look at other than that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, (laughs) um, we'll look at your cost per add to cart. Um, we'll make sure that they're also, um, taking that next step to, initiate checkout. Um, and then most importantly, like what is your cost per purchase in the account blended? Um, and what is your return on your ad spend? And are there um, acronyms th- for those two things? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, often you'll hear like CPA, so uh-huh. cost per acquisition, or some people say CPR, cost per result. Um, and that's like something that we could use for your store locator campaign because the result is them clicking on the on the fine location. Right. Um, and then the other is ROAS for return on ad spend. Yeah, I've heard ROAS. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> um, I'm taking notes, obviously. Um, and then yeah. I think another important part of that, which you and I have talked about, Courtney and I have talked about, is like um, those metrics will depend, will vary depending on where they are in your funnel. So if you're prospecting them, if you're hitting a cold audience and it's their first touch point, you, you expect that to be more expensive than retargeting them. They've already been to your site. They've already maybe engaged with you a bit on social media. You expect those costs to go down um, the more touch points you have with a person as you get them closer to, to the event you'd like them to take or, or converting. And is that when you talk about a blended? Um, yes. Is that what you mean? Because you're, you're talking about the cost all the way from like, hi, you've never met me before to like, hi, you've come on my site four times and now you're finally buying. Is that the blended cost? Exactly. Ah, yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Getting you got there. it. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I think, you know, we are putting together a job description for uh, someone to sort of what we're calling an acquisition manager that it might be a digital manager, it might be a growth Mm -hmm. manager, I don't know. But basically, in the last eight months, between doing digital ads, doing like real email campaigns, Instacart ads, we'll be doing Amazon, we have these dashboards for like, every retailer pretty much has its own dashboard with their own digital ads that they're doing. we feel like we need Courtney to really focus on like the brand and the DNA of the brand and those campaigns mm-hmm. and like 
who are we and how do we make your life easier and how do we translate that? And then we need someone to like deal with this stuff, like the social and the search and the retargeting and what is display? I don't know what that is, but you'll tell me. And, and like all of these dashboards. And I guess um, I'm curious if you were me again, what, what would that job, what would that job be? Like what, how would you define it kind of, what would you say uh, that person is, is doing, what would you include in it? Like I have social search, retargeting, CRO, which I don't think I know, SEM, SEO, which I think you might've mm-hmm. explained to me. Oh, you did, <laughs> you went CRO and display. Like what is the nuts and bolts of what this person is doing essentially? So I think it could take on a couple different shapes, but like an overall, I think they could be your e manager. So um, it seems like all of these things could fall under the umbrella of your like e-com strategist. Um, mm-hmm. So part of that would be um, the advertising. And maybe even as you grow, you need someone who's like focused on solely your marketing and advertising. Um, but I think a bigger role would be someone who's like attuned to your overall e-commerce efforts and a part of that being um, paid advertising. Okay. So ads is part of it. Um, yes. And then what what is this piece of it that's like search and display? You said something about Google making sure that when people actually go to look for you, that you show up. I, SEO, like what what is all that? Because this person presumably will be responsible <laughs> for that also. <laughs> yeah. So I think with two of the acronyms that you put out there, Um, you were hitting search. So um, SEM is search engine management. um, Mm -hmm. And that's the paid side of search. Um, And then SEO is search engine optimization. Um, So search engine management, search engine optimization, search engine management is paid, search engine optimization is organic. Um, So someone who would work with you on paid ads, that would be, um, are you advertising on Google? Bing, other search engines. Um, Like you said, that can also include display. Um, So that would be like if you're browsing on the site and you see like a banner for Mm -hmm. Haven's Kitchen, that would be a display ad. Got it. Um, And then um, I think, yeah, our our director of SEM once explained it to me that like with Facebook, when you're prospecting, you're presenting someone with a new problem. Like, you're giving them, oh, look at these like fresh sauce pouches that could save so much of your time and help you enjoy cooking more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the person would be like, oh, I've never even thought I needed that. But now I'm realizing I really do. Right. I'm going to go to Google and like look for that solution. Um, and so when you give them the problem on Facebook, you don't want to not have the protection on Google for when they like when they decide to investigate that problem. So when someone goes to look at like sauce pouches, you want to be the first brand that comes up for them right um so that's where that like other layer it comes in um and yeah. is this all one can I just hire one person <laughs> or is this like <laughs> am I basically asking for a unicorn here like I need uh, we need a body and we need someone who understands this stuff um and it, are, are they all do they all fall within the same discipline 
You know what I mean? Like if you understand one piece of this, is it likely that you'll understand the way something else in, in the digital world kind of works? Does that make sense? That de- yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I think that those people do exist and I interface with them um, in my role. I do right. think that it like requires a lot of experience, like with the more businesses, the better, because everyone's really unique. Um, and so someone who has that experience on like paid advertising and email programs, but also like has the overall um, e-commerce knowledge. I think like, as you realize, Pearson is a great example of someone like that. So knowledge of both sides of that coin. Okay. Well, this is very helpful. Um, okay. A couple more questions. One, we are told, everyone is told content is king, content commerce, content community, content, content, content. But yes. <laughs> and we know it's critical to make quote unquote good content. But w- sometimes I think we have made the most beautiful thing in the world and it just kind of falls flat. Or like we had one ad that I kept being like, really, do we need to, I re- it was like the sausage hot dog one. And I was like, <laughs> can we stop running the freaking sausage hot dog ad? And Courtney was like, that's actually like our number two performing ad. across. Like, so how, how do you know, what have you seen work specifically for us? Is there any mm-hmm. kind of com- other than the, the sausage hot dog? Is there any kind of common denominator? Are you guys kind of constantly saying like, wow, when they do squeezing the sauce into a bowl, that really works. When they just have like Allie smiling, that really doesn't. Like, are you kind of (laughs) constantly looking at that? And are there any sort of rules of thumb other than like, it should be well lit and it should maybe show what, what the product is and does. Like, are there any just tips about good content specifically for Mm -hmm. Havens, but I guess more broadly for other people listening that you can share? Yeah, I think um, generally we're seeing like the most success with what's described as like UGC style. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it's user generated, but it's actually like shot by you or someone with experience shooting content, but made to look like a user shot it. Right. So it's like more polished than if it were actually shot by a customer, but it has that feel. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah. That fussy kind of golden light. There's something like very static about that. Yeah. Yep. Um, And it, it doesn't stand out when you're on your feed. Whereas if you see something that feels like it belongs on the feed, but also has something eye catching. um, And in your case, like you said, um, a UGC style product demo. Um, those have worked really well for you guys. So having someone using the pouch, having it visible and in use, um, I think has been like clarifying for people on on what exactly you offer. Yeah. Um, As opposed to sort of what we used to do is like the pouch very straight next to some pot of something. And those fell a little flat. And and I remember before we even met you guys, when Maddie and I were like, why do some posts get 250 and some posts get 90? And every time we put a pouch in, it went down. And we were kind of like, well, that's a bummer because <laughs> this is what we're trying to yeah. sell. 
So how do we do that? But it wasn't necessarily because the pouch was in it. It was because it was a very sort of like staticky looking static, essentially. Um, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I also think like, and with the exceptions to where we've seen, might not have seen static work for you. Something that we did see is like an image with skewers for barbecue um, mm-hmm. and like meeting people where they were at. Like people maybe couldn't go a lot of places, but they could still enjoy barbecue with their families at home or friends Um, right and so I think like for the holidays for instance people are going to be cooking together and indoors so meeting them with like things that are relevant to them where where the customer is at right you know it's interesting like we've always prided ourselves on like our our mission has always been to help you whoever you are feel like a champion in the kitchen as opposed to, I feel like a lot of brands where their mission is to show how great their product is. Yep. Like there's, it's a, it's almost like the difference between sort of like brand centric and then all, like the brand almost, like we're almost like, let's let the brand fade into the background. We've always wanted to be sort of like, I, I you know, I always talk about that movie Aquamarine where we're like, did you ever see that? <laughs> with Emma Roberts like a long time yes, ago. I did. A long and time. and remember the the mermaid leaves to go back to the ocean and she leaves them with these little sand um like starfish earrings. And yeah. do you remember this? And yes, star- I do. Yeah, and the starfish earrings are like you're great. You're smart. You're so pretty. <laughs> so like I always like think of us as like we're like, like next to you in the kitchen being like you can do this. You've got great knife skills. You know how to cook. <laughs> So I, it's funny that like what makes that all kind of links back to what, what content works for us, which is not like, look at our product, but like, Mm -hmm. you got this, you can do this. This is easy. All you need to do is squeeze. Um, So that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Last question. Cause I'm going to be on time this week, Jess, I promise. (laughs) Um, Other than kind of what you said, which, I mean, you, you gave me a lot. I took copious notes, but (laughs) what are some mistakes that you see brands making? Um, What do you wish we would all do as we were getting started? Like if you had the ability to talk to every early stage brand, Mm -hmm. you know, especially the ones, I think that the digitally native kids, I think that they, this is what they are natural at they need help on sort of the retailer and the sales and, and in some cases sort of the the ops side of things. But but the, I think of sort of like the digitally native brands and then sort of the grocery kids. And we were the ones that kind of started off like really food-based building from five stores to 20 stores to 200 stores and now we're all trying to figure out our, our direct-to-consumer stuff and figure out Instacart. So maybe specifically to those, what do you wish we would all do or, you know, do a little better or do a little earlier um, mm-hmm. to prevent some of the mistakes that you're seeing brands make? Yeah, I think that um, one big thing that I've noticed is like having um, goals that are specific to your business model years in particular so maybe you talk to someone else and this is like the ROAS that they're hitting or their target CPA but if you actually look at your data um, your product offerings on the site your current um, 
like email strategy, those metrics might not make as much sense for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think taking the time um, and consulting people who are like actually looking inward instead of basing it off Mm -hmm. of others, like what should your goals be? Um, I think that's huge. And so that's just then a it's like, life lesson. <laughs> like, <laughs> take that, like, take ROAS and CPA out of that and just be like, know your own goals. Look at <laughs> Don't base your goals off other people's goals. Like, generally a good thing to think about. And, and we do often get trapped. And then you were going to say something else. Yeah, I think. And then you're in a position where it's not like, should we spend more? It's like, we know that we should spend more because we're hitting like these goals that are particular to us. Right. Um, and then I think the other thing that we touched on the website optimized for conversion, at least in the simplest sense. Um, and then like, if you want to start ads, but have zero content. So mm-hmm. when, at the time that we started our relationship, you guys had a lot of things that we could work with and you've been continually building on that. And I think that's part of like the spirit of really giving your best try is like, having enough to begin with to test some different content buckets, but also being willing to like keep that stream running because it's like an ever changing landscape and you just got to keep fuel in the fire. Yeah, no, it is a beast that we just continue to feed. I (laughs) and Maddie and I were both quarantined for the last 12 days. So I was just in my kitchen alone with a tripod trying to film like squeezy shots and like, (laughs) there's like, weird light and like a cabbage and it but you know it's up there it's gonna be an ad so um all right (laughs) natalie i really i cannot thank you enough this was so helpful i have all of my acronyms now i just understand (laughs) and i know what they are and now i have to go find myself this e-com manager slash maybe director depending on the experience um that they have because it sounds like they might need a lot. <laughs> um, Jess, thank you as always for all of your engineering help for helping me get on here when I muted myself and needed help figuring that out. Listeners, um, I will be back. I still have a couple more episodes um, before winter break. Um, and so, uh, Natalie, again, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Ali. And, Can't wait for uh, next yeah, week. Yeah, me too. And um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.